0: Right. the singing sounds amazing today, and even, the, even this side sounds really powerful today. Uh, but amen, it is awesome to uh, be together. Thank you guys again for that communion. It really was uh, a moving time. You might be, you know, you leave church and you're like, man, there, God always does something special. I'll probably tell you that the communion was probably going to be your special point for today. That was really a moving time. Uh, I found myself just almost tearing up just thinking about the, the brothers and sisters over there and just the amazing, uh, love for God that they have and just that picture with the socks. Man, that was, that was powerful to see that they're not just doing the work of the Lord, they're, they're loving like Jesus. And isn't that awesome to, uh, to not just do, do what we're supposed to do for God, but really love like Christ. And, uh, we're excited to, uh, to continue our Roman series today. Uh, I gotta welcome back Ted and Lacey. They're officially back from their, uh, you guys, they got married a couple weeks ago and you came back. You know, we thought you might just stay and uh, on your honeymoon, but you had to come back. Kind of a depressing time, but uh, welcome back. Oh, yeah. And uh, we're excited. I know when we came back from our honeymoon, it was like, no, I don't ever want to go back. But you have to, right? Yeah. And uh, so I'm excited about the, the book of Romans today. As we look at Romans chapter 8, um, this is really the, what I call the Holy Spirit Hall of Fame chapter. And there's some pretty amazing things that the Holy Spirit have done over time. And I'm not going to have a competition, but, you know, creating the world, that was pretty, that was pretty monumental uh, for the Holy Spirit. Raising Jesus from the dead, that was, that was pretty awesome too, right? We celebrated that last week with, uh, with Easter celebration and, you know, just imagining. Uh, I was thinking about Thomas today because he didn't get to see Jesus till a week later. And he probably just went through, if we were back then, he probably just had the most miserable week of his life. As everyone else saw Jesus except for him. And then he gets a chance to see Jesus. And not only does he get to see him, but Jesus kind of has him come up. And actually, that would have been really uncomfortable, right? You're like, hey, Jesus, I'm good. I don't need to touch your wounds. But he said, no, P- Thomas, I want you to touch him. I want you to put your hand in my side and... and um." But the Holy Spirit has done some pretty amazing things. Well, let me review just a bit of what we've looked at in Romans so far. The, the first few chapters is basically talking about how the Jews and the Gentiles all fall short of Christ. If you're trying to live by the law, you're trying to be perfect, you lost. Not if you're, if you're a Jew or a Gentile. And none of us... It's my son's favorite scripture all fall short of the glory of Christ. I I asked him that. why, Why is that your favorite scripture? I mean, there's so many scriptures in the Bible. I mean, that's your favorite one. And he just shared that it just lets me know that everyone's the same, that no one's better than anyone else. No one's perfect. Doesn't matter what your title is, who you are, that you're all. We all need Jesus. And he goes through Romans chapter 5 and he talked about the first Adam that fell short and then the last Adam, which was Jesus, that made up for all of that. And then a couple weeks ago we looked at baptism, a beautiful picture of getting back in a right relationship with God and how that affects how we handle sin in our lives, that we want to please him, that we're in a relationship with him. And then Ray did an amazing job a couple of weeks ago, The Tale of Two Husbands in Romans chapter 7. And just talking about, again, our need for Christ. And so this chapter, chapter 8, is kind of the high point of the entire book of Romans. But it talks about the Holy Spirit, I didn't even count, but at least 10 times. And so I'm going to go through, I just picked out three of the highlights. Because honestly, a sermon with 10 points... <laughs> That would probably depress you, right? If I said, my, my first of ten points, right? You're like, oh my gosh, this guy's going to go forever. So I just picked out the highlights here. The first one is, in Romans 8, chapter 1, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And I, I just chose this picture. It just reminded me of, like, paradise, That you're just there, you're with Jesus, there's no condemnation. If you can imagine a life with no guilt, if you can imagine a life when you do do something wrong and you feel guilty, then Jesus says, it's okay, I've already paid for that. In every situation that he looks at you as perfect. I don't know how you look at yourself, but in doing ministry for the last 30 years, there's a the very few amount of people that feel like they're perfect in everything they do. And we call them deceived <laughs> or prideful or whatever you want to do it. But they're, it's like you are out of touch. And if you think you're perfect, guess what? You're the only one that thinks that. Because your family and people around you, chances are that they've got it figured out. But in Christ, so most of us, we feel guilty a lot we feel like we fall short a lot. We feel like people are putting us down a lot, whether they are or they're not. Because we just are so conscious of what perfection is and how that's not us. I'm sure we have a few perfectionists. I see a few of you nodding your head there. But even the rest of us, even if we're not perfectionists, we know that, man, we're, we, we got some issues. But in Christ we can be considered perfect. There's my title. And this is Romans 8, 1 through 4, and especially the first verse. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you have a problem with guilt, if you have a problem with grace, and this right here needs to be your scripture, if you can memorize, if you can say that to yourself like 20 times a day, you'll begin to understand what it means to be free in Christ. You'll begin to understand what a guilt-free life is, not because we're perfect, but because we have Christ covering up our deficit. He says, Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. Amen. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son, in the likeness of sinful flesh, to be a sin offering. That was actually my word when he asked, when Roy asked, what is that, the word for Christ? And the first thing that came into my mind was sacrifice. He came in as a sinful offering for us. So he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. If you need a different way to think about this, it's like you're on trial for murder and you actually did it. And they're about ready to pronounce the sentence or the verdict. And Jesus comes in and says, you know what, whatever the verdict is, I'll take it. And so instead of pronouncing you guilty, they pronounce him guilty and he gets to go to death for that and you get to live. That's really what the scripture is saying. It's not that we didn't do it. It's that Jesus took our place. And that should motivate us to live for him. It's not about people. It's not about what everybody thinks of us and who said this and what you know, all that stuff. It's just about Jesus. None of us can set you free. Just Even if we tell you how great you are. Because Jesus is the one who sets us free for real. And this is another passage that I picked out a few verses later. It has two, what I call, highlight scriptures here for the Holy Spirit. It says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God who are children of God. See, even that's awesome, but it's not even as awesome as the next one I'm going to say. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves that you live in fear again. That's pretty encouraging, that you don't have to live your life in fear. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Now, that's the amazing verse. It's not that you don't have to live in fear anymore. It's not that you're called children of God, but you get to call God your dad. That he takes you into his heart, into his home, into his church, into his love. Now, I'm not sure what your relationship was like with your father. The guys have seen a pretty awesome uh, movie. I know Cal was thinking it as I shared that. Show me the father. And it basically goes through and, and goes through guys' lives who have had rough relationships with their fathers and and how they had to overcome that to see the true love of Christ. Whatever it was that maybe maybe our dads were awesome and we got a lot of that, but even if they were amazing, they still didn't give us unconditional love like Jesus. Perfection. Because even though our fathers loved us, there was still some condition. Right? Would they love you more if you got an A or you got a D? You know, it would have been not quite the same. You know, one, you probably would have had to do the dishes, and the other one, maybe you would go out for dinner. But Jesus lets us and call. we get to call him Father. That's the kind of connection that we have because of his grace. It says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. That takes some time to think about that for a minute. That Jesus Christ is your brother. That, yeah, he's he's your creator and he's your savior and he's all that. But he here it's saying he's he's like my my guy. I, I don't know how many people have brothers in here. So... That kind of connection that we have, we have an inheritance with Jesus. We have the same inheritance, like we're splitting the pot with Jesus. Just think about, I don't know if that's bringing Jesus down or bringing us up or both. But that we have an amazing inheritance planned for us. That's what we heard about in Lebanon. They didn't have an inheritance here, does it doesn't sound like. But they're rejoicing because they have the same inheritance as Christ. Even though they were going through sufferings, they felt powerful. They felt important. They felt encouraged. It says, if we share in his sufferings, that we may share in his glory. We're going to talk about that in a minute. I told you it's a great chapter. That's why I'm letting the Bible do a lot of the speaking here. The next one is, that wasn't even, those didn't even really count. Those weren't even on the top three. They didn't even make a point. I snuck a few in on you there. Uh, The second one is our full redemption. Our full redemption, chapter 8, 22 to 25. It said, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly. Can I get an amen there? We have some groaning. And we eagerly await for our adoptions to sonship or daughtership. The redemption of our bodies. That what we are experiencing now, even as Christians, it's not... We're, we haven't arrived yet. See, we, we had creation, and then we had the fall, and then we have what's called the first fruits of the Spirit, just a deposit. That's gonna get cashed in someday when we will be fully redeemed. I mean, we think, I, I think of that now, that when I talk to people, I explain that I'm, I'm redeemed now because Jesus died for me and my sins are forgiven, but I'm not fully redeemed. Until I get to see Jesus again. Until I get my new body. Until I get my full inheritance. Until I see Jesus face to face. Now you got to think about that for a little bit. Even if you've been a Christian for a while. Sometimes we feel like this is it. This is just a little piece of what we're going to get. This is just a little piece of God's glory. And that's going to be for us too that He will glorify our bodies. It says For in this hope we have we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. All who hope for what they who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. See he's talking to Christ he says you're you're still hoping for it, you're still waiting for it because you haven't fully received it yet. Even though you're, there's no condemnation for you, even though you have the Holy Spirit, you still haven't gotten everything. And if I know God, I think we've gotten like one one millionth of what we're going to get. And that's pretty good. Yeah. But imagine what God is going to give us later. Creation, redemption. This was kind of a new one for me, probably in the last couple of years. I never really thought about that. If you heard the part of the scripture earlier where it talks about the creation groaning as well. So it talks about us groaning and the creation groaning. And that's some kind of deep stuff when you start thinking about it real closely. And it makes you probably care about the environment a little bit more. But let's read on and see what this creation redemption is. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. That's when we're going to get our full redemption. For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. So sin basically messed up creation too in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of Christ. Now, you've got to think about that for a while. You may not agree with me on this. But this is where people talk about the new heaven and the new earth. That somehow this is, our creation is going to be reborn too. I have no idea what that means, what that's going to look like. But a lot of times God says things in the Bible and he's not just using metaphors. Sometimes he is and it's confusing. But here I believe that there's going to be a redemption of our creation. That somehow the creation will never decay. I don't know if it's going to look like the original garden. I don't know what it's going to look like. But it's pretty cool to think about that all things created, whether it's the actual creation or us, we're going to all be redeemed in Christ someday. You might want to think about that a little bit in your quiet times this week. This one didn't make it, but it's pretty awesome too. How do you say it didn't make it, but... It says, that in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. There's that groaning again. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Even when you pray and you're not making sense, the Spirit translates that into what it needs to be. Even when you don't know what you need to pray for. Sometimes you pray for something, and I think God just says, man, that's a dumb prayer. <laughs> Why would you even think about that? I'm going to give you this instead. That, I don't know. That's a mystery to me. That's, that's when you got to think about that. You may be you're praying. You're you don't even you're frustrated. You're angry. You're groaning, and God just takes that and says, "Yeah, I know that. I know what you're saying. Really? I don't even know what I'm saying myself. <laughs> I'm glad you could translate that. And that's what the Spirit does. That's pretty awesome. So even when you don't feel like praying, just groan. <laughs> that's what it says. Just hope. Just pray. Pray and God will translate whatever that is. I know we do a lot of groaning. We don't talk about it, but we all do a lot of groaning, don't we? I can't believe these didn't make it either. This is this is the big one. One of the, but it didn't. You know, it wasn't my top three this week at least. It says we know that in all things God works for the good who love Him. That's pretty amazing. You can have faith in every situation. I see people smiling out there because I know you're thinking about, man, I didn't think God was going to get me through this. And, man, he did. He sure did something pretty awesome. And Lacey's one of them. Okay. (laughs) Oh, I don't usually do that, but he says uh, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's pretty amazing. That not only does he work it out for our good, but he works it out that we can be more like Christ. That it's not just being happy, but it's being like Christ. Sometimes we don't feel like it's real good because we don't realize he's trying to help us to be like Christ. And that that suffering and that challenge and whatever it is that... If we could see Jesus, we can make it through it. Sometimes we're looking for that blessing that Gabe was talking about, and we don't see that often right away. But he says that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. I'm just going to read the highlighted part here. It says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? There's that father-son relationship again. How will, If he gave up his son for you, how will he not take care of you? How will he not meet your needs? How will he not bless you? You bless your own kids and you're happy about it and you expect God to do it differently. Sometimes we feel like, man, we're going to really bless our kids. We're going to get them a car. They're 16. We're all excited. God does that for us in so many greater ways. And yet a lot of times we're wondering, I wonder if God's going to bless me. I wonder if he's got my back. I wonder if he's going to take care of me. He's like, don't even think that way. How could you think that way? He gave up Jesus for you and for me. Okay, here we go. This is the last one. Nothing is greater than Jesus' love. This, I, this one had to make it for me. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's overused sometimes, but it still is the greatest scripture. It says, As it is written, for your sake we fade death all day long. For we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Sometimes we focus on the conqueror's part. I don't think he was trying to focus on that. He was focused on the because he loved us, part. He says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I mean, I read this chapter and I feel like you could just cut the Bible off right there. Like that, that could be like the end of Revelation. Whatever comes your way, Jesus' love is greater. Whatever hardship, whatever demonic forces, whatever challenge, whatever happens, that his love will never let go of you. You might let go of him, but he's not going to let go of you. And there's a scripture that talks about that too. His love is greater than anything that we ever face. I want to close out here. You know, in thinking about the the gospel of Christ, I want to put before you another way. Not a different, not not that they they're, they're, they go together. But I was, I heard a story of somebody who was in a. Starbucks, talking to their friend, and they were trying to help convince them about becoming a Christian. They have someone they really cared about. They're really just putting their heart out there. And it, they started out they, the first way, which is probably the way that a lot of us have heard the, the good the gospel. God created perfection. Then... Adam and Eve sinned, and we all sinned, and we got separated from Jesus. Then Jesus came down to earth, and he lived a perfect life, and he died for our sins to build a bridge back to God. You heard this, heard this before? Hope so. We respond, and then we get connected back to God again. We get connected back to that original perfection that was created. Only problem was that the, her, the friend didn't really know what any of that was about, right? She, they didn't grow up going to church. They didn't have all the background of, so he died, and there was a bridge built, and we separated from God, and where did that all come from? And, you know, so she looked at her friend, and she said, okay, let me, let me try it a different way. And I've been thinking about this this week. And man, it, it's a game changer, even though it's the same exact thing. She started, she said, God created the world perfectly in the garden, and humans messed it up. This has continued to this day, right? We live in a world of sex trafficking, poverty, disease, environmental disasters and wars, among other things. Right. The Christian story says that God has revealed his power in a story of selfless love. Which is the opposite of what the Bible calls sin. Which is the root of this whole problem. The death of Jesus on a Roman cross is a demonstration that there is no power greater than death or circumstances outside of his love. His resurrection from the dead says that the powers of sin and death do not have the final word. Amen. And the church is a group of people who live by the power of this selfless love which the Holy Spirit gives to us, which we've learned in Romans chapter 8. In the church, we live in resistance to all other powers that would shape this life or distort us from unjust ways or this love. We live as a sign of God's future where all things will be made whole. They'll be fully redeemed. We talked about that. This takes more than just being a good person or moral people. Christians hardly have the market on that. And and yet, when I live this story, I find myself being transformed by the love of God. The The way this world gets on you and contaminates you and weighs you down with shame and guilt and condemnation to make you feel defeated. And yet this transforming way of life survives everything, even death. That's the same message, but to me that's a lot more inspiring and motivating to want to live a selfless life like Jesus led for us. Thank you for listening to the Hall of Fame of the Holy Spirit.